You're listening to the Slice of MIT podcast, a production of the MIT Alumni Association. And this is the MIT Alumni Books podcast. Joe McGonigal, I'm the Director of Alumni Education. I'm talking with Robert Coles, a class of 1955 Master of Architecture. Coles is the author of Architecture and Advocacy, edited by William Seener with Sylvia Coles and published this winter by Buffalo Arts Publishing. After earning his degree from MIT, Coles went on to a 50-year career as an architect, opening his own firm in 1963 and leading to senior positions in the American Institute of Architects and the AIA College of Fellows. His new book documents his 50-year career in the field and his architectural legacy as a leading civic figure in the city of Buffalo. As one colleague put it, Coles has unmistakably woven his drive for equality, opportunity, and love and concern into the social and architectural fabric of Buffalo. He has done it with sensitivity, care, and commitment few architects could equal. Well, Robert Coles, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Tell me about the writing of this book. It's kind of a story unto itself. Yes, it is. About two or three years ago, I decided I would close my practice. I had a lot of material that uh, I had accumulated over 50 years and just tried to decide on what to do with it. Then my friend Bill Sinner, who I had done some sailing wood and talking wood, uh, came with the idea that why not uh, do a book. So that was the beginning of uh, the, the book. It's uh, a strange industry these days, the publishing industry. Tell me about, you did some fundraising for the book project and about picking a publisher. The publisher actually was the publisher that my wife used for a book that she did. Buffalo Arts Publisher uh, was selected as the uh, publisher for the book and so forth. And we worked with them. We also worked with a funding group uh, that assisted in uh, raising funds for us. Uh, Kickstarter, you probably know that. Yes. Yeah. And uh, with Kickstarters, we raised uh, about $6,000. And that effort came towards uh, the end of the uh, our publishing effort and all. We had done a lot of work before we brought in Kickstarter. Well, kudos to you. I don't know a lot of uh, alumni from the 1950s who use Kickstarter. Well, it works and all. <laughs> it does, yeah. yeah. Surprisingly to us and all, we didn't know what it was either. Yeah. And our publisher uh, uh, came up with the idea of using Kickstarter, and that's how uh, we uh, uh, went to that organization. We're also joined by William Seener, who edited the book with Robert Coles. William, I wonder if you can tell us about the experience of writing this and what were the biggest obstacles in getting this all down on paper? Actually, getting it done on paper was uh, was fairly straightforward. Bob had kept uh, good records and had actually assembled a lot of the material in a uh, sort of a scrapbook. And we started with that. And part of my role was to uh, then go a bit beyond those records and talk to some other architects who had a sense of Bob's work, incorporated some of their comments. It, it was a Actually, it was a nice exercise. I thought it was important for Bob to be able to tell his own story rather than uh, to be a, a analyst of historical uh, context. That was what the aim was uh, for me to help Bob get his story down as as he hoped it would be uh, remembered. Sylvia Cole, tell me what you're most proud of about this book. 
I think I feel it portrays Bob's character and personality, ambitions, aims very well indeed. I can't imagine a a better job. Bill Senior deserves a lot of credit for doing the text. All the people who worked on it, and including the publisher, it's very satisfying for me to see the final product. And Robert, talk about responses you've had to the book so far. It have been great. Uh, we had one uh, book signing party. We had about 40 or 50 people there. Uh, they were all very enthusiastic. Uh, The book takes us through your life story. It's a memoir, after all. It has these two pillars guiding your work throughout architecture and advocacy. And uh, chapter by chapter, we learn about your evolving philosophy as an architect and your evolving philosophy as as an advocate for African-American architects and the field. Uh, You described very early on, almost 50 years ago, African-American architects as an endangered species. I'm wondering if you still consider that the case in 2017. Yes, I do. There are probably in the country uh, no more than 1,000 African-American architects. In the country, there are probably uh, 100,000 white architects. In my own city of Buffalo, we have perhaps uh, five or six registered architects. So we are indeed an endangered species. In the book, you tell the story of attending the 1968 American Institute of Architects convention. Whitney Young Jr. spoke and charged the profession with getting its act together in a year of race riots and after the assassination of Dr. King. Uh, Talk about his influence on you over the years. For the first time, the American Institute of Architects had a a speaker who challenged them to look at the social problems that we uh, uh, in the country were facing and asked the architects to take a leading role in doing something about that problem, really. I remember him saying, uh, you are leaders or you should be leaders and you are not leaders, you're followers. And uh, after the 1986 uh, convention, a group of architects, black architects, got together and began to advocate for efforts that the full body of the AIA should take. You wrote in an AIA memo in 1993 that your concern was that the inner cities of our nation, and I'm quoting you, are becoming more and more isolated and that the population, increasingly black, brown, now yellow, are becoming more estranged from the mainstream of society. And you called for, among your uh, peers, uh, architects to rethink their tendency to seek solutions to urban problems in massive infrastructure projects, instead to, to rebuild the human spirit through small individual initiatives, you write. Has that call been heeded? I would say only partially. Unfortunately, uh, many who were in the advocacy movement uh, uh, lost their will to continue on, and so they uh, have gone on to other areas. In Buffalo, uh, we had a community planning assistance center for about 10 years, but uh, that center did not continue. Many of the people who were involved in advocacy went on to public uh, positions with the state and with the city. We're trying to essentially start that all over again. In fact, I had a meeting with the dean of the School of Architecture uh, less than a week ago and and proposed that uh, we restart the Community Planning Assistance Center, which was the name of the uh, group. 
when you hear about racial unrest in Baltimore, in, in Ferguson, Dallas, uh, over the last decade, do you think about that charge you made in 1993 and how architecture and better urban planning might inform social justice? My feeling is that architects, uh, because they have the ability to see things as they can be, as opposed to as they are, uh, have a responsibility to uh, lead in many of these uh, planning and social issues, really. Unfortunately, this is not taking place. I think many of my uh, white colleagues uh, are focused only on uh, the architecture and not the social issues that are uh, involved in that as well. Give us an example of one project in the city of Buffalo that you're most proud of in, in terms of uh, combining your, your architectural talents and your, uh, your work at achieving more social accord in the city? Well, I think one of uh, the most significant projects that I worked on uh, was the John F. Kennedy Recreation Center. It was the result of a thesis, thesis that I did at MIT in uh, 1955 and became a real project in Buffalo in 1960. That project came about because uh, I developed a relationship with the head of a community organization who was being urban out of uh, uh, his facility. And I said to him, let me design a facility for you uh, that you can move into. And uh, I actually had or assisted in the commission in 1960 and in 1963, uh, we had a building, the John F. Kennedy Recreation Center. The building uh, uh, stands today, uh, and it's, what, 50 years ago, uh, uh, 60 years ago. It's really one of the most significant buildings uh, in the inner city. You also write about the Frankie Merriweather Jr. Branch Library as one of your most satisfying projects. That is the most recent project that I did, uh, which is a library uh, also in the inner city, which is designed like a African village. Uh, we had a very demanding uh, client who said he wanted a building that was more representative of African architecture than traditional American architecture. And so I came up with a, a building that has, what, seven uh, different rooms. Uh, each room has uh, a space for the library versus cir circulation. This is one uh, senior citizens, uh, another children's area, another. And uh, it is a magnet for all kinds of activities uh, in the community. In fact, we had, uh, I think about uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, the first uh, signing, book signing for our book, and we had 40 or 50 people there, and uh, it was a very significant uh, event. Well, we'll encourage alumni listening to uh, visit either building in, uh, in their travels to Buffalo or those who live in Buffalo. I do have to ask you about your studies at MIT. I thought it was funny to read that you, you and your classmates got sick of studying Frederick Olmsted and all of his work in the Back Bay Fens and demanded a little bit more about uh, from the department head. And tell me, tell me the results of that. Well, we had a Christmas party in about 1954. We had a Christmas party, and we invited the uh, the dean of the school, Pietro Bluski, uh, uh, Lawrence Anderson, who was chairman of the architecture department, and we invited them to this party. Uh, we had uh, liquor. <laughs> to sort of soothe them up, and we said, we are tired of studying this back pipe fence and all. 
we want to deal with more significant architecture. And so we gave them a list of about 30 architects. I had them pick six architects, uh, and uh, we really had the top of the line. You know, we had Errol Cern and uh, Paul Rudolph. Uh, we had Minoru Yamashak, and they all came in for about two to four weeks. And uh, we sat at their foots, you, you might say, and listened to them and uh, were really involved in their in their teachings and all. It was a very great experience. Thanks to your advocacy, you actually were part of designing your own education. That is correct. Mm-hmm. That's, and, and all of us will remember that. Tell me what else needs to be written on the subject of architecture and advocacy. What do you think, what work needs to be done in this area? Well, I think the uh, educational institutions need to take the lead because they have uh, the uh, people who could be involved in we need uh, the schools to take a lead in terms of the planning and development that's going on in our own city, really. What's happening now is uh, there's such a flourish of activity that nobody's looking at the urban design uh, or planning issues, and we need uh, the schools as well as the profession uh, working together to do something about it. Tell me what else you're reading right now. I'm reading about the Smithsonian African-American museum that's just opened up, and I'm looking at all the, uh, the, the journals that have come out about it, the Smithsonian uh, and others, really. And I think that's one of the most significant things that's happened uh, in the most recent years, really. The book is Architecture and Advocacy by Robert Coles, Master of Architecture 1955, edited by William Siener and with Sylvia Coles, and published this winter by Buffalo Arts Publishing. Robert Coles, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much.